This is Bill Caskey back at the Advanced Selling Podcast. Brian Neal still here. I'm looking That's at you today. You, you know, you sometimes are. we have to turn our heads, but today I get the pleasure of looking at you. You know who Tom Likas is? No. Tom Likas had a radio show. He still does, I think. I used to listen to him in another city. But he was on the, whatever it's this, not CNBC. What's the private label TV, NPR TV? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, MSNBC. C-S- C-SPAN. Oh, C-SPAN. He used to be on right, C-SPAN. Right. The show was on C-SPAN. When he did his radio show, he always closed his eyes the whole time. Really? I swear. He had, well, he had glasses on, so I'm assuming his eyes were closed. No, but really, I got the sense he closed his eyes the whole time. Wow. So I don't like to look Maybe at you, actually. It's nothing personal. A shout-out here to Ed Worthington. is a LinkedIn group member. He actually sent us a message last week. If you didn't listen to the 10 Reasons Salespeople Lose Business, go back and listen to it. Yes. It was uh, based on an article by Steve Martin from the Harvard Business Review. Go right. ahead. Go I'm ahead. not going to say. So you're Steve Martin. No, please. no, that was you. But we talked in that last podcast about, I think I made the statement, maybe I misstated, but what is marketing's job? And I said that, Often, you can't depend on marketing to generate leads. Uh-oh. Did you make him mad? I did. I kind is of he a marketing guy? Well, he, he's both. Okay. But he said, uh, I understand some people feel marketing job is to brand the company or keep them top of mind, but I feel those objectives aren't really as important as lead generation. And my comment back to him was, the clean version, was... Um, <laughs> Well, you, didn't, you didn't photocopy your no. middle finger? And, or, <laughs> and, and I agree with him, but I just don't think that's reality today. I think in most of the businesses, mm. you know, there are certain businesses where marketing does a great job, but the most businesses, they really don't. So Interesting. You just made a lot of other good friends there, too. <laughs> well, but it's really, uh, it's, it's difficult to do. So John Jantz is going to be along here mm. in about a month. John Jantz has written several books, Duct Tape Marketing, The Referral Engine. He's a marketing guru. So we're going to take this up with him. We will. And we'll see what he says Because we're it. afraid to answer our own mail when we get hate mail. So <laughs> We're going to have right. John Jantz do it. Yeah. Take that, Ed. <laughs> Please don't stop Ed. listening, Ed. <laughs> he won't. He'll be there. All right. Guest today. Got a very special guest. Very Mr. excited. Sereni Rao. Or, Sereni, are you on the line? I am. Hey, All right. Love when it works. He is from SoCal, Southern California, Riverside. And he wrote a book here uh, in the last year called The Small Army Strategy. The Small mm-hmm. Army Strategy. And he also is host and co-founder of Blogcast FM. It's a podcast where he interviews business experts. He's interviewed such people as Michael Stelzner, Julian Smith, Chris Guillebeau, <laughs> Danielle Laporte. Also, he has a blog called The School of Life. And school, of course, is not spelled the way you spell school. It's S-K-O-O-L. Too school for cool. That's Said right. Pink. So, Randy, welcome to our show after that big, long introduction. And Serena, you just got back from Costa Rica, you said, surfing? I did, yeah. I'm an avid surfer. I'm wondering if I've ever not mentioned this in an interview at this point. (laughs) But yeah, I actually spend a lot of time in the water. It's funny, I jokingly say I'm more comfortable in in water than I am on land. And strangely, I've never been athletic in my whole life, but about five years ago, I started surfing and it just kind of clicked and it was like a drug for me. Wow. I love doing it. It fuels a lot of, of what I do. It's probably my source of, of creative energy. So, I, And I think everybody needs one of those. Like Anytime you're doing creative work, I think you have to learn to unplug and disconnect. And for me, surfing has been a phenomenal way to do that. And of course, it gets you in really good shape, too. So that's that's kind of a fringe benefit. I love that. And th- three weeks. So this is already good. I'm already learning something here. Because uh-huh. when's the last time, Bill, you unplugged for three weeks and went to Costa Rica? Never. Never well, I didn't unplug the whole time. But I plugged, ah. unplugged for several hours each day. Like, you know, I basically was unplugged. But... I did a good amount of writing while I was there. Oh, very uh, cool. And so that was always nice. It was it was great because I had sort of the fuel for my creative fire, and then I would surf in the mornings. I would 
basically, I'd surf for about three, four hours, then I would go and sit in a cafe and I would write, yeah. and then I would go back in the evening and surf again, and it just kind of repeated this process over and over again. Well, well that's the way to do it, because if I unplugged for three weeks, I'd get back till I wouldn't remember any <laughs> any idea I would have had in that three weeks, so Brilliant it's a good way to do it. Well, we want to talk to you a little bit about the idea of small army strategy when it, as it relates to salespeople, and you know our podcast uh, is focused for salespeople, sales managers, and leaders. And tell us a little bit about why you wrote the book, what need you thought there was out there, and, and why this message is so important to you as an author sure. and as a coach and so forth. Well, I guess we can start sort of earlier in sort of the inception idea of the book. A lot of the content was originally published on a blog called Grow, uh, run by a guy named Mark Schaefer. He wrote a book called Return on Influence, uh, another one called The Dow Twitter. I was a guest contributor at his blog for almost a year and a half, and at the end of the last year, he commented on something. He said, I'd been riffing on a theme the entire year. And this idea was sort of having humanity as part of your content and really, really being human. Because I think that sometimes in the online world, it's very easy to forget that there are people on the other end of the screen, on the other, uh, on the other end of every tweet, under uh, other end of every status update, whatever it is, there is a person on the other end of the screen. And to me, that's always been very, very important. But the other thing that really sort of prompted this book was that I started to notice that a lot of people try to go out and mimic really, really successful people. They mimic instead of model. And you know, my friend Paul Jarvis said probably one of the smartest things I've ever heard. He said, you know, nobody on the internet is successful because they took somebody else's roadmap and copied it. And you, know, you look at a guy like Seth Godin, right? He gives you a lot of sort of what seems esoteric uh, when he gives you advice. And I only know this because I've interviewed him. And I realized finally that what Seth does is he gives you a compass instead of a map, which I think can be very frustrating to some people. Now, this book I don't think is necessarily a map, but what really prompted this was that I started to see that the world was getting noisier and noisier and noisier. And I don't think it's going to die down because every day some piece of technology comes out that makes it possible for us to create more content. Like I saw what Google Glass was, was you know, all of a sudden like, wow, that means that the average person can go out and film a reality show. Maybe it might not be that interesting, but I mean, look at what has become popular on the internet. Some of it isn't that interesting. It's actually quite stupid. Are you saying Honey uh, Boo Boo is stupid? <laughs> I think Honey Boo Boo is, is <laughs> Honey Boo Boo to me is, is pretty much the, the pinnacle, like not the pinnacle, the, the downfall the of society. Yeah. Like, the fact that that more people watch Honey Boo Boo than listen to you guys or to my podcast. Hey, combined, uh, right? Yeah, exactly. We so digress. That, you know, I remember the first time I saw Honey Boo Boo on uh, YouTube, that people had mentioned to me, I thought, wow, I'm like, this is horrifying. I can't I believe that people actually watch this. <laughs> Funny. But that's a great example of mass attention and what kind of audience it creates. It's, you know, you're catering to the lowest common denominator. Mm -hmm. And I think that when people initially get online, they have this idea that, okay, you know what, I'm going to write something that's going to go viral, it's going to get millions of hits. Because when you look at the online world from the outside in, all the stories are very glitzy and glamorous. Like, you know, you think, oh, wow, this person started a blog, they got a book deal, it got turned into a movie. And you're like, let's not forget there are about 10 years of yeah. other parts that nobody yeah. ever likes to talk about, right? Like, yep. no, because that doesn't sell books, that doesn't inspire people. But there's this ugly part of the whole journey. And so I realized that, one, that kind of massive attention, again, you know, I got to give credit Seth Godin, he told me, he's like, mass attention is almost unattainable, and it's not clear that you want it necessarily. And I saw people struggling to get attention. They're so focused on growth, and I realized, like, well, maybe the key here is not growth, but impact on the people that are already yeah. interacting with you. 
And so that's really what prompted this book is that you know, I wanted somebody to say, okay, I have five readers and I can still use the ideas in this book because here's something to think about, right? You can get all the advice in the world for Tim Ferriss, but how many of us can relate to where Tim is at right now? You know, like how many of us can say we've written three New York Times bestsellers and have become essentially a celebrity in the online world? You look at that, you know, like, I am so far from that that it's inspiring, but it's not relatable. Yeah. And so I think that the goal with the small army strategy was to say, you know what, you can do this. You're probably not going to be the next Tim Ferriss. You're not going to be the next Chris Brogan, but you don't need to be. You need to be the first you. And that that's a weird concept for people to get their heads around. I think that when you start catering to the audience that you already have and really sort of nurturing it, that's when you basically start to create small armies. And again, you know, I, this isn't something that it, it's not an overnight fix. It, I mean, if anybody's listening thinking, okay, this book is going to basically result in overnight fix, bear in mind, I've spent four years building a platform. And I, I realized something. I was like, wow, I haven't built a massive audience, but I have definitely built a very loyal one. Mm-hmm. Great. We talked about this before we got started. From a salesperson's perspective, what I see the mistake people make is no matter what they do or what they sell, there's typically some sort of niche there available, but the net is cast so wide, salespeople don't know what to do. And I think they sort of – they. Um, water down their message. Could you give some specific advice? So I'm a salesperson, I'm listening to this, and I sell copier equipment, which is very, very common. Like there's a bunch of people sell copier equipment. And I'm going to take this small army idea. And the problem is everyone's a prospect for me. I mean, how many businesses, schools, churches, hospitals have copier machines? All of them have a copier machine somewhere. So how do I take this idea of small army and make it more applicable? What's a first step or first or second step you could give the listener? Sure, that, that's a good question, and you know I'm not a salesperson, so you know take it with a grain of salt. But I think you brought up one key point, which is the idea of watering down your message, and so many people do that, right? Because I mean, you think about it, like we're talking about a commodity at this point, uh, which mm-hmm. is, is selling copiers. Every one of these people has copiers. So, what is going to distinguish the the person who is selling you know copiers is if I were selling copies, I would say, you know what, I want to be the guy who is unforgettable. Like I show up. I don't just come and drop off your your copy machine, but I basically create an experience that only I could create. Like, and, and you know that could mean any number of things. It could mean, hey, you know what? Every time I sell a copier, I basically send a stack of like awesome books to the person. It's like, hey, here's a, uh, or I have a relationship with one of the school teachers that, that I meet. Say, hey, you know, I'm dropping out copiers. Here's a stack of books. Feel free to hand them out to your students. I mean, yeah. I think it's about creating a certain level of intimacy that I think it kind of gets lost. This is sort of the compass versus the map, and what I'm going to give you as a compass as opposed to map is instead of making the relation a transactional one, make the relationship one that results in an impact. And that, I think, is how you distinguish yourself in something that is so commoditized. I think that's a great question to ask. I think if a listener is listening to that, they should ask themselves, when I'm done, did my customer go through a transaction? Yeah. Or did I have an impact? And to me, we talk about transaction versus relationship. I think you've just taken that to a different level now where the it's it's beyond relationship. It's now to personal yeah, impact. Right, Bill. right. I had a question for you, Serini. I had a client yesterday. I was on the phone coaching, and he's in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. He had two or three clients that he was spending all his time with, and two of them have left over the past six months or so. So now he's almost starting over. And he's making cold calls. He's out smiling and dialing. He's picking up the phone. He's going to networking events. Spends 60 hours a month doing that. I said, why don't you take a quarter of that time 
and take 12 hours and go do something that has some of your humanity in it, whether it's writing an article, putting up a blog, creating a little video series or something. It seems to me like when you talk about the small army strategy, you would start with who you know. So you would start with your current clients, every contact at that client. He probably has 100 people he knows in Little Rock that would, be, that, that would at least serve as the base for his work. And then if he creates something that becomes referable, then it's going to be likely that those 100 people are going to send it on to their 10 friends. And is that what you mean by the small army strategy is don't start with who you don't know. Start with who you have. Let's talk about this from a selling perspective, just because you know we are on a podcast about sales. This is going to seem really counterintuitive to people, but I mean, if you go to somebody with this idea of trying to pitch them on something or trying to sell them something, especially people you do know, uh, I think they're going to be somewhat off-put by it. It'll be a bit of a turnoff. I, I think the key is bringing something to them that is a value to them. And, and you brought up creating something that makes you referable. Well, that could come in the form of a book. That could come in the form of any number of things. Here's another thing to think about. It's really, really tempting to look at sort of best practices. And something that I've always said is just because they're best practices, it doesn't mean they're best for you, right? Mm. Like I had a friend who told me best practices almost ruined everything about his story. He had such an amazing <laughs> story. And, and and this is the part that I think, you know, we, we get in this idea of humanity. It was like, do the thing that only you could do. It create the experience that only you could create. We have a friend named Alex Franzen, and she talks about this idea of being unmistakable. And you can see this. like. Artists are, are particularly good at this. Like you can walk into a museum and you can see a Jackson Pollock painting and you can say, you know what, I know that Jackson Pollock did that. And I, I don't know a damn thing about art, right? <laughs> yeah. But I know Jackson Pollock's work because I, I'd recognize it. Or a musician like Michael Jackson, maybe that's a more relatable example. You can listen to the first 30 seconds of a song and you know that it's a Michael Jackson song. Mm -hmm. Here's what's interesting is that it's not necessarily about the tools that you have the tools are, are pretty much the same. It makes the playing field level. What makes the playing field really interesting is that only you can express what you can express. Right. Mm -hmm. Everybody is absolutely different. We're all unique in our own ways. There's a great book uh, called Mastery by a guy named Robert Greene yep. that everybody should read. And, and he talks about this. He's like, you know, there is not a single person that is exact, even if you're an identical twin, there's nobody like you on this planet. And so that's a liberating idea to some people, but it's also scary because the thing is now getting to know yourself is a very, very terrifying process. <laughs> yeah. You start to uncover things yeah. that you, you realize, wow, it's like there's some really dark parts of who I am, but there's also some really interesting things. Uh, and, and you know what? Like it's not self-exploration is not something we're encouraged to do no. at a very early age. And, and that's why you basically have people who go through a midlife crisis of sorts. So what I would say, and I realize I'm giving you somewhat esoteric answers, uh, and again, you know, I mean, and the book is definitely filled with very, very tactical things. But I, I think it starts with sort of this this mindset of, of willing to adopt a compass. I, I said something a few days ago. I said, you know, the, the doing interesting work is about the willingness to use a compass instead of a map. And then you have to draw the map as you go. And the map is different for everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Boy, it's great stuff. Sereni, I really appreciate you taking time to call us today and be on the podcast. Once again, Sereni's written sure. a book called The Small Army Strategy. Where can we get that? You can get it on Amazon. It's uh, just two ninety nine. If you just do a search for a small army strategy, you'll see it there. And where you can find me online is at blogcastfm.com. Blogcastfm.com. He also publishes a blog called The School of Life, spelled S-K-O-O-L. Great job. Sereni, thanks for having us on. Hopefully you can come back in a year or so and uh, update us on how things are going. Sure. Hope you catch some tasty waves this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, man. See thanks you. for your thanks. time. Okay. Cheers. All Bye. Right. Take care, guys. Uh, bye. 
So, Brian, what'd you think of uh, Serini? I took a bunch of notes, and what's interesting is I wrote down a bunch of words. I wrote down expert. He's an expert. He's he a is. reporting expert. We talk about that all the time. Yep. I wrote down impact. I wrote that down. The word unforgettable. I wrote down the word model versus mimic. Uh-huh. Model versus mimic. And I don't want mass attention. And what's so interesting is most salespeople try the tactic or strategy of mass attention of people I don't know. Yeah, right. They combine the right. two things that he said not to do, which right. I believe in. We try mass attention of people I don't know. What we should do is small army of attention of people I do know and allow the tribe to grow. That's right. That's fantastic Because it will advice. grow. It no will doubt grow. about it. I mean, when you think no about doubt. how much of our business, our business is referral, uh, it's a high percent, and most people's business is 60 to 80% referral, right. and yet we, we don't really do the things that make it easy to refer, No, be it a, a article or, a, or an email we send or an expert position of some kind. Yeah. I wrote down unmistakable, which is kind of a little bit of that indistinguishable, yeah. yeah, unforgettable. All right. All right. Well, uh, keep us uh, posted. If you have somebody you've heard on a podcast and you want to send to us a name, uh, we'd love to have some guest experts on here later in the year. And as we said earlier, John Jance will be our guest here in a couple weeks in June. We'll talk to you then. See you next time. Bye. Bye. This podcast presented by Kasky, leaders in sales training and executive coaching. If you like today's podcast, share with your friends, family, and starving salespeople everywhere.